from what I have just referred to, it would not be unreasonable to conclude that I am particularly shocked by the circumstances of the offense in this case. The conduct of Sergeant Blumke disappoints me as a CAF member, and I am, to an extent, angered by it. Those are the words from a Canadian military judge writing in his recent decision to court-martial an army sergeant who made anti-Jewish and Holocaust comments and jokes while he was training a group of soldiers at Canadian Forces Base Petawawa. The judge was so shocked at the sergeant's behavior, he could have thrown the book at him, maybe demote him by two ranks, or he could have even kicked him out of the army. But in the end, the sergeant, who's been identified only as 38-year-old K.E. Bloomkey, and I hope I'm saying his name right, he received a severe reprimand plus a $3,000 fine. And while he continued working, he had to go for counseling and be on probation and monitored. And that lasted for over a year until September of 2022. The ruling came out in the fall, but we're just hearing about it now. And here's some more of what it says. The sergeant was born in Germany and came to Canada when he was 11. He joined the army after high school. He served more than 20 years. With the Royal Canadian Regiment, he's had two deployments, one in Afghanistan and the last one in Ukraine. Nobody taking the course he taught moved to complain until it was finished four months later. The judge heard they were worried it would risk their careers. But afterwards, they went up the chain of command. They reported what they'd experienced. And one of those who complained was a soldier with Jewish heritage, identified only as a Master Corporal Mahar, who told the judge he was so upset that he couldn't concentrate on anything he was learning because of the offensive comments. Here are some of them. Is anyone here Jewish? This was one of the very first questions the sergeant asked the group of candidates at the beginning of the course. The second one is when the soldiers were on a firing range and he told them to move with a sense of urgency as a certain group did leaving Germany in 1939. When there wasn't enough room in some of the army trucks, the sergeant said, Germans are really good at packing things in tight. And there was this. Why do Jews have big noses? Because the air is free. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, June the 7th. 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily. It's a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Now, I'm sure you've realized by now those weren't the real voices of the judge or the sergeant. My colleague from the CJN, Alex Rose, read the judge's part, and my husband, John Friedland, read what the sergeant apparently said. And we've put the link to the judgment in our show notes. It's really worth reading. The sergeant was written up on charges and it went to a court-martial and he pleaded guilty to one of the charges, the other was dropped. And then, after hearings at the end of October last year, the judge issued the second highest possible punishment, short of kicking him out of the forces. And here's what the judge writes. I am having difficulties finding the right word to qualify the use of stereotypes and the reference to the unspeakable horrors suffered by the Jewish community before and during the Second World War to make adverse comments intended as jokes. The word distasteful does not suffice. It is, in my opinion, utterly disgusting. Regardless of who in the CAF engages in such conduct, it should make a reasonable member cringe and worry about belonging to the same organization as the perpetrator. Now, some Jewish groups are calling for the judgment to be reviewed and for zero tolerance in the Canadian forces for this kind of anti-Semitism. But retired Major General Ed Fitch says the court-martial is actually a win for fighting anti-Semitism. 
Fitch is one of four senior ex-military leaders who studied systemic racism and discrimination in the forces, and they handed their report in last year to the Minister of National Defense, and they called for better anti-racism training for everybody. Retired Major General Ed Fitch joins us now from Victoria, B.C. to take a closer look at the case. Hello, Ellen. Well, we're here speaking about the story that's come up about a Canadian Armed Forces sergeant who was disciplined and fined. Now, you have read the court-martial judgment. Uh, What are your takeaway thoughts about the significance of this? I see this as a a very positive story. Uh, I was trying to remember if I had ever in 50 years uh, seen a case of anti-Semitism actually brought to a court-martial, and I could not recall one. I spoke with a couple of colleagues. They, They also could not recall one. So usually it's been the low level kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I've dealt with it on occasion myself summarily and and there were no formalities. So so to see this rise to the level of a court martial, it's it's very serious indeed. Um, And and the, the offender's whole career was in jeopardy at a court martial. To me, this is a sign that uh, the Canadian Armed Forces, by extension DND, are taking this very seriously. In the judge, in his explanation of his decision, was very clear that this kind of behavior is totally unacceptable. And uh, he considered demotion and, and uh, dismissal and so on. And for a variety of factors, didn't go there in the end. But uh, I think this is um, a milestone case that will be used, and not only in the context of anti-Semitism. By the way, Ellen, we've talked before, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't like the term anti-Semitism. It was invented by an anti-Semite. It's Jew hatred. I I think this is a very positive sign that the, the department is taking on not only Jew hatred, but all kinds of racism and discrimination. The judge was very, very strong in his the, the written ruling saying that it was disgusting and there's no way that this was just a joke and that he knew what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they fire him from the Canadian Armed Forces? Why do they allow a person who did this to stay in the forces? So the, the judge had the possibility, had the option to do that or, or something close to it in the balance of the facts. And he explains it quite well. There's 60 or 70 paragraphs of explanation from the learned judge, particularly as this may be a first instance, first one that I can recall over 50 years. Uh, I think uh, his decision is very strong. His, his, uh, the factors he took into account are very broad, and uh, I, I admire uh, the conclusion that he came to. So what were the factors that were mitigating? Things like, and I, I don't want to get into too much detail because I read it once, but he mentioned uh, the, the, the otherwise good record of this surgeon. He mentioned the fact that the surgeon came and, and pleaded guilty, pleaded guilty, whatever the term is, uh, at the trial, uh, did not dispute the facts that were offered by the prosecution, so that shortened the whole process. Another a number of other factors. But the important thing is, here is a court-martial that found a person guilty of uttering Jew hatred, and the person was seriously sanctioned for it. Now, when we spoke previously, you had just submitted as part of the committee 
that the Department of National Defense had asked to look into racism and discrimination inside the Canadian Armed Forces. And there were a lot of recommendations. I remember one of the problems that your group highlighted was that it's very difficult to find these people who will come in with these views and screen them that the department isn't good at this, at the recruiting process. Can you elaborate a bit about those concerns that you have? Sure. And by the way, the department is not particularly good at it, but neither are our allies. We don't know anybody who is good. Uh, So this is sorting wheat from chaff in buckets full of of recruits. Uh, It's a very difficult task. You know, the Department of National Defense hires Canadians to be soldiers. They come to the department, to the Army, with their acquired history of 18 to 25 years before that and and what they learned from their own parents. So they they come in with all kinds of stuff. And uh, the Army, you know, I tend to use the word Army in the global sense. I'm inclusive of Air Force and Navy has been increasingly training on professional conduct and appropriate behavior and anti-harassment, anti-racism. I think this is ramping up a great deal. I can't quite tie it to our report. Um, So I think our report may well have contributed towards this outcome. But this speaks of something deeper, Ellen. This means that at the lowest levels, we're talking sergeants, master corporals, uh, the event, the, the offense was noticed. It was called out. The hierarchy right up to the, the battalion commander took notice of it, agreed that it was unacceptable, and decided that a, a charge under the Code of Service Discipline was necessary. This is a new phenomenon in, in my experience, or at least what my memory carries, because more typically, and Anecdotally, we've all heard these stories where a stupid remark is put out and uh, a Jewish or Black or First Nations or you name it member may feel offended, may or may not speak to it, may go to their boss and their boss will say, ah, don't worry about it, you know, we'll we'll give them a slap on the, you know, typically it's just kind of, it had been kind of swept under the rug or dealt with informally. This went the full gamut of the code of military discipline. This is a huge change. And I'm hoping it's indicative of the future, but it's something to celebrate. You mentioned that they did call it out, but in the testimony, it seems they waited until after the course was over, the junior people, the soldiers that were being trained, even though they reported a whole bunch of comments that he made for fear of their own careers being jeopardized. Why would they not be already, you know, because they should feel safe maybe to talk about it, but they didn't. That's right. And that's the situation we're coming out of. And this will be a signpost on the way that people don't have to worry about those things. But for sure in the past, uh, as a member of that four-person panel, uh, we received communications from many members of the armed forces, racialized members who had often heard uh, inappropriate or disgusting remarks. And uh, they referred to it in more than one instance, more than one person referred to it as a death by a thousand cuts. And, and eventually one day you say, there's no point in me staying here any longer. I'm, I'm not progressing and I have to live under this, uh, this cloud of stupid 
you know, lack of respect and, and disgusting remarks, so I'm going to leave. And, and so all the more so, this is a case where that's not what happened. Where now, if it was called out during the course or after the course, I mean, I, that's a detail. Maybe it was better after the course. They felt safer because the course report had been written and they passed the course. They could go on further in their lives, their careers. Uh, that's an individual decision. I'm not criticizing the people who gave testimony for, for not calling it out sooner, but the, that it went all the way to a very effective judicial decision is what's important here. So he stays in because he's gone through this kind of rehabilitation. It's called CNP. Can you explain what that might look like? Certainly. So, you know, th there's all kinds of deficiencies that soldiers might uh, display at, at one time or another. And the hierarchy has a number of tools in hand to deal with it. I mean, in the first instance, it may be, a, you know, call the guy aside, quiet word and say, Loggins, uh, your boots are dirty, you know, shine them up, you know, and, and you might do that a couple of times. If Loggins doesn't respond to that gentle kind of, you know, light touch on the reins, uh, then they may get an informal warning, but nothing's recorded. If that's not effective, the next step is a recorded warning. It goes on their file for a certain amount of time. And then any uh, body that's looking at promoting this guy or selecting them for, and I use the term guy broadly, this soldier, this can be seen and say, oh, better not consider them for that now. Wait and see how their behavior corrects itself. After recorded warning, and I'm going by memory, so the penultimate step is CNP. CNP is counseling and probation. So the individual is formally called in, they're spoken to and given a sheet of paper that lists their deficiencies, and they're put on probation for a period, um, if memory serves me, it's typically six months. And in, in this case, the judge noted that there was an administrative error, and this uh, sergeant was on probation for more than 12 months. And, and while you're on probation, you can't be posted, you can't be promoted, you can't go on certain courses, or it's really, uh, you're in a timeout, very serious timeout, because the next step is release. If the CNP is not effective in restoring appropriate behavior, then the individual could be released. It occurred to us that this person, Blumke, Sergeant Blumke, who went through the rehab and is now back doing whatever he is about to do, has access to weapons and arsenals. And this is the whole worry for people who monitor deep hate and that kind of those kind of people who then go on to do things like try to kill the prime minister or other things like that. So I wondered what you make of the, the still the threat of this for Canada's safety. There is in all those pages of his decision. There is no suggestion of any kind of right-wing extremism. It, it, it's not there. And uh, if it was, uh, it would have come out for sure, because this guy's under the microscope, has been for a year. It's very interesting that we're speaking about, you know, a year after we spoke about your report that was handed in. What progress has DND made since your report was handed in? So officially, I don't know. We, the, the panel was disbanded a few months after that. We did a couple more gigs with the minister in 
in terms of socializing the report internally and externally to the department. Um, and then we were thanked and, and uh, you know, went on our merry way. That's why I freely speak to you. So I have have had some communication with people in the department since informally. They're being careful in the sense, you know, there's an old saying, never show a fool or a child a job half done. Uh, so they wanted to get it all done and then go public. And uh, they have their own schedule, whatever it is. So stuff is happening in the department, and this may be a sign of that. But if you look on, if you want to have a look on the website, uh, the Chief of Professional Conduct and Culture, yeah, CPCC, their website showing some new publications and things they're doing and scrutinizing of promotions and senior officers and all those things happening. Uh, I have not seen any report. I don't even know how they're planning to measure progress. So I, I really can't help with that. Well, this has been very helpful. Thank you for being on the CJN Daily. Thank you, ma'am. We did put a call in to the Minister of National Defense, Anita Anand, for her comments. We haven't heard back yet, but we'll update you when she does. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Brian Schwartz in Illinois. And we'll end with a little message from Canadian soprano Sharon Azrielli. She is also in that film shtetl that we talked about on yesterday's episode with Saul Rubinek. He plays the rabbi and she plays his wife. It was her first time acting in a major film. She also has production credits. And although she didn't know much Yiddish, she too was deeply affected by filming in Ukraine. She's the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. Her late father, David Azrieli, escaped the fate of his parents and all but one brother at the hands of the Nazis. Sharon sent us her thoughts from New York, where she's performing the role of God in a musical. It was very important for me to be there in Kiev. It was very important to uh, relive um, that experience to some extent. My father was 18, approximately, when the war broke out. He was born in 1922 in Poland, in Makov Mazowiec. And he often described um, the idyllic surrounding of his town. It really reminded me a lot of our set. There was a river running through his town. It reminded me a lot of that river that was there. He described the beauty of the uh, woods, which reminded me a lot of that set. I know very well that the synagogue that that was created for the set it was an exact replica of old Polish wooden, beautifully painted synagogues. So they got it exactly right. And when the Soviets came through, uh, the youth were highly enamored of this new philosophy and this new political wave. In fact, at that time, I think my father was a card-carrying communist and he was able to to flee deeper into Soviet Russia. And this saved his life at the time. By being a card-carrying communist, he was able to get work and he was able to escape. In fact, the book that he wrote for Yad Vashem is titled uh, One Step Ahead. And he was one step ahead of the Nazis for a long time until he had to return to Poland as a Jew. (laughs) 